This morning we are continuing our series on uh, various important words as we've been going through some words during the, uh, we're going to do this the whole year, really, uh, a nine different series of different words in the Bible that are important. And we've, we've started a series on truth. We've talked about inspiration and prophecy. Today we're going to talk about this big C word, covenant. And I don't know if you've been here a very long time. You've probably heard me talk about covenants before. Uh, but it's, it's one of the interesting things that stands out as you study God's word. You begin in Genesis and you go through Revelation. How often God uses the word covenant specifically to mark important moments in his relationships with humans. As several different times he has very specific um, outlined relationships with different humans, and he keeps using this word covenant. Now, we're going to go through a, a brief list of the times that God does this, and, and of course, ending with what we are supposed to be doing today with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. God uses this word when he talks to Noah. And God said to Noah, to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, birds and livestock and beasts of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you that I never again, or that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, we typically, I've, I've started with this in Genesis 9, 8 through 11. We typically think of covenant, that word, as an agreement, an agreement between two parties. Here God uses the word, there's no agreement. It's just a promise. I'm never going to do this again. That's all God says. Noah he does not put any conditions upon this promise, does he? God just says, this is not going to happen again. And now, we'll talk about this as we go through, but there is the same sort of structure of agreement, even though God does not impose a condition upon this, as the other covenants that we will see. With Abraham in Genesis 15, 17, and 22, it repeats this several times. Uh, I'll read out of Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. That I may make. There is a condition here already, right? Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Of course, in Genesis 17, he's looking forward to a couple of things. In, in, in Abraham's immediate context, he's thinking about the 400 years later, they're going to come out of Egypt, and of course, they're going to be the nation of Israel, this, this multitude of people. But of course, we know, looking back on this with the hindsight of uh, 2020 hindsight of all of God's revealed plan that the multitude of nations is going to be not just the Israelites, but all people who will be joining into this covenant. With Moses and Israel and Exodus, of course, he repeats this a lot of places, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the covenant given through Moses. And of course, after God gives them the Ten Commandments and he gives them a bunch of commandments and laws and promises and, and you're going to go into the land and it's going to be great, but you need to obey... Moses took half the blood and put it in the basin, half the blood of an animal, threw it against the altar. He took the book of the covenant, that is all the commands that God had just given, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Oh, how easy it is to say. Did they follow through on this? No, of course not. All that God has spoke, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The covenant in this case being what? If you will do the things that I've said, 
I will lead you into the land of Canaan. You will take possession of it. You will be blessed and multiply and you will have a great nation. The covenant with Abraham, this is really an extension of the covenant with Abraham. As God says to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant with you. You will be a father of a multitude of nations. This is the first part of that fulfillment to Abraham. Israel is going to be this great nation. And of course, the condition was what? If you are obedient. Even in instances where the word covenant isn't used, that specific word, he still structures several important relationships the same way. With Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. We'll read this in just a minute, not right now. That is a covenant. The covenant of you can eat everything, don't eat this one tree. And everything's great and hunky-dory. But, of course, we know what happens there. God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. David wants to build the temple. And, and God says, no, you're not going to build the temple. I'm going to bless you. You're not going to bless me. I'm going to do all these things for you. Now, he doesn't use the word covenant in 2 Samuel 7, but David does use it later, speaking of the same event in 2 Samuel 23, when he talks about God's promises to him because David was faithful. Now, David wasn't perfect, but David obeyed God. He was a man after God's own heart, and so God blessed him because of that. When God wants to have a significant relationship with humans, he structures it in the same way each time. And because this is repeated over and over and over, we might think that this is something that is integral to God's very nature. How he operates, not in any particular circumstance, but in many circumstances how he relates to his creation. From the very beginning, we'll read this in Genesis 2, which I alluded to previously. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, the man saying, this is Adam, of course, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is a covenant. I have made all this stuff for you, Adam. I even made you a woman. Made all this stuff. Don't eat this one thing simple covenant, that even they couldn't keep that very simple thing. With Abraham, the promises were based on his faithful obedience, right? Walk before me and be blameless. That's a condition on the covenant. And in some cases, it's sort of a retroactive thing. Abraham obeys already when he's called to go. He obeys, he goes, he does the things that God wants, and then God makes the covenant with him, and then several more times. There's sort of tests of making sure that Abraham's going to be faithful in his obedience. With David, the promises came after his faithful service. In 2 Samuel 7, David's already been faithful for a lot of his life. He's, he's done what God wants. He's put God first. He's really striven to obey God. And God makes these promises based on the faithful service that he's already given. With Moses and Israel, very clearly, this is the most clear, of course, of all of them, the promises of going and possessing the land, of having good crops, of having an abundant harvest, and, and, and being able to drive out the other nations were based on obedience. Even with Noah, that promise is not, or the, the conditions are not stated in Genesis chapter 9, and yet that promise to never flood the earth again was based on the obedience of Noah. Because Noah's only around to receive that promise because he was obedient before. Because he had been faithful to God before the flood. And he was the only one that was saved. And so God is making that promise to Noah because Noah's the only one around. Because Noah was faithful and obedient to God. 
these agreements based on our ability to obey. That's what all of these agreements are based on. Abraham's ability to obey. Adam and Eve's ability to obey. David's ability to obey. Moses' ability to obey. Of course, the people of Israel. And of course, what do we see time and time again? Sort of obedience. Sometimes. Even David was not fully obedient. Abraham, we know, was not fully obedient. And so these covenants look to something better. Now, the reading was Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8, which is a quotation of Jeremiah 31, something that God's prophets were looking forward to. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. That would be the covenant with Moses. That's the agreement he's talking about, this previous thing. It's not going to be like that. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. Israel forsook that covenant in the kings, kings and chronicles. We see how after David, Solomon does pretty well for a while, but then he is faithless. And of course, then we have the divided kingdom and the kings come and some kings do okay and some kings are really horrible and the people in general begin to forsake this covenant declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall no longer each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The covenant that is coming from Jeremiah's perspective. There's a couple interesting things I want to note about this. When he says, they shall no longer each teach their neighbor, saying, know the Lord, for they all will know the Lord. What does that mean? In the covenant that God made with Israel, you are in the covenant without knowing God, just by virtue of being born. You were born, you're circumcised if you were a male. If not, then you weren't circumcised, of course. But even as a kid, as a baby, as a child, you were in the covenant because you were born in Israel. But you didn't know God. You didn't know the Lord. You just were there because you were born there. To be in the new covenant, the thing that is coming, you will have to know the Lord prior to entering the covenant. Everybody will know the Lord who is in the covenant, as opposed to Israel. Some people did, some people didn't. As they grew, they had to learn who God was, this covenant that they were a part of. But now here we are in the covenant of Christ, Luke twenty-two sixteen through 20. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I, will t I tell you that uh, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, evoking what was read in Exodus 24. Moses took the blood of the animal, he sprinkled it on the book and on the people and said what? This is the blood of the covenant. Here we see in Luke 22, this is the blood of the covenant. And they could not have missed the significance of that. These people who had grown up in this old covenant, the covenant of Moses, they'd grown up in this system and they see Jesus here instituting, this is the new thing. The thing that Jeremiah was thinking about. The thing that Jeremiah prophesied about. Behold, I will make a new covenant with them. Harkening back to Moses, sealing the covenant in Deuteronomy. This covenant sealed by blood. 
the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer has much to say about this. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Uh, verses 15 through 22. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is an important point. about the idea that these, all these old covenants were based on faithful obedience. Adam and Eve didn't faithfully obey, cast out of the covenant. Abraham, he was faithful for most of it, not perfectly faithful. Moses and the people, of course, Israel, they forsook the covenant and they were destroyed for it. What is the Hebrews writer saying here? A death has occurred that will redeem them from the transgressions committed under the first. Those old transgressions, things that they were not perfect, redeemed by this death. As we come to this new covenant, this new thing that we have, that God does demand obedience, but because of my failures, I need some grace to remain in the covenant. This agreement that God has made with humans, I need some help, which has been demonstrated by all the previous covenants. People cannot do it. We can't. God makes these agreements with us that are impossible for us to follow because of his nature, because of who he is. Somebody asked in the men's study, why did God make it this way? Why, why doesn't God make it a different way? Because of who he is. He demands this perfection that we cannot give. And so now in the new covenant, that problem has finally been dealt with. For there was where there is a will involved. Now I want to note, this is the same word. Covenant and will. Same Greek word. Where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force so long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goat and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. All the stuff that was involved in the covenant. The people, the book, the items, the place, all of the things sprinkled with this blood. We come to the new covenant. Indeed, under the law, everything is purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus says in Luke 22, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, what is he about to do? He's not just making it figurative, he's about to make it literal the blood that he's about to shed on the cross. And he knows that. Of course he knows that. They don't, they don't know it yet. The people that he's with in Luke chapter 22, they don't know it. But when he does die, he's crucified. The blood that is shed for us, that cleanses us and makes us pure. Now I understand how I have that grace. They did not understand that at first, but then they would later. The language of covenants then, these agreements that God makes with us, God will do this if we will do this, whatever it is. In their case, the old law. In Abraham's case, go and be faithful and blameless. In David's case, he remained uh, uh, blameless in that he kept putting God first. In Adam and Eve's case, it was just very simple. Don't eat this one thing, which they failed at. The language of covenants then is vital to understanding God's intent for our lives. The set of obligations, promises, and expectations that define our relationship with Yahweh. Different in each case, Adam and Eve, one command, Noah, 
He retroactively got to benefit from a covenant by being obedient, whatever that meant for him. Abraham, the things that God expected of him. Of course, Moses, all the things that he expected of Israel. Now we have new rules that govern God's relationship because the relationship with Israel is no more. They broke that covenant. It's over. Now we have a new one in Christ. What does Christ expect of us? So while the Old Testament is important and good, it does not contain Yahweh's expectations for us today. Only in Christ and his covenant do we find what God expects of us. And we'll talk a lot about that as we go through this series, as we go through the rest of the year. But praise be to God that this new covenant is not founded on my ability to obey. Thanks be to God for that. Because I'm not good enough. It's not founded on my ability to obey. It's founded on Christ's ability to obey. And his ability to die so that I could receive the forgiveness of his blood. Does God still expect obedience? Absolutely. Does God still expect that I'm going to do everything that I can to fulfill my obligations? Absolutely. I only receive the blood of the covenant if I am continuing to do my best to be in the covenant. I have to stay in it by doing the best that I can. But at the end of the day, I am not expected to be perfect. And I'm so grateful for that. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. They didn't have confidence in the Old Testament. In fact, in the law of Moses, if a random person entered the holy place, what happened? They died. Sometimes struck dead, sometimes killed by the people. They expected death if they would enter the holy place. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. True heart meaning what? That I am sincerely doing my best to obey God. I'm obeying him in all the ways that I know, and when I make up, I mess up and make mistakes, I'm asking for repentance, I'm asking for forgiveness. That's the true heart in full assurance of faith. I'm like Abraham, told to do a thing, and I'm doing it. Not perfect, just like Abraham. But I'm still continuing to obey to the best of my ability, with my heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. What's the confession of our hope? That the promises of God can be received. The promise of an eternal destination with him, an eternal home in heaven with him. Those promises, that hope that we have, I'm going to hold fast to that confession without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. In each covenant, God kept his end of the bargain. It was people that failed. And let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Hebrews writer, quoting Jeremiah 31, what does Jeremiah say? They will not each have to teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. All who are in this covenant, we are in it together, striving together. That's why he says what? Consider how to stir up one another. Meet together. Encourage one another. And we can have the promises of this covenant. 